Hi, property investor listeners. Tyrone Shum here. I want to tell you about another property podcast that I'm super excited about. It's called Think Big Property, where I have millions of questions about property development, and my co-host Nyong Nyon has made millions of dollars from it. I think you'll really like it. So, I wanted to play another episode for you. You can binge all the rest of the episodes on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. Here it is, another episode of Think Big Property. It's a very much um, attractive to a lot of people because it is a big paper shuffle uh, and I do love subdivision in that way because I physically can't do any of the work. This is the Think Big Property Podcast where Nyang earns means from property development and Tyrone, that's me, has means of questions. In this episode, we're going to continue our discussion of the ladder of complexity and find out what other strategies are up the ladder. The ladder is a concept of property investing and developing strategies based on their risk factor from the lowest to the highest. We delve into building a new house, subdivisions, development approvals, and much, much more. The ladder of complexity incorporates the various strategies that are used in property investing and developing. We delve into the fifth strategy, which is building a new house or project home. So, um, building a new house Firstly, like you might be thinking, geez, you're getting someone else to do it. They've got a system. You just pay them the money. You go to work. The house is built when you come home. Um, now, building a home can have many, many complications. I say building a house is like a 10,000-piece puzzle being put together by 20 people with blindfolds on. and I built enough houses on to to know that because it's a moving part cosmetic reno is that the house is already built you're just adding the lipstick or the makeup on top of that so there's not 20 tradespeople waiting for uh, each other to be finished so building your house there's complications to be able to get it finished um, uh, one thing not to scare you but you know builders often go broke and when I say builders often go broke it is very very common for a builder to go broke uh, they're not managing their finances they're not paying the tradespeople. they're not making enough profit often a lot of builders are great at building but they're not business people so they're not good at managing cash flow so why I'm sharing that with you and putting this as a little bit more complex is with building your house it's not just building the house it's a project of choosing the builder choosing the right builder, designing the right layout, um, choosing the right colors, putting the, the, the appropriate fittings and fixtures in, having the right budget, soil test as well. Are you building um, a four-bedroom house, three-bedroom house, single lock-up garage? There's, my point with building your house is there's a lot of new decisions that previously you wouldn't need to make in a cosmetic renovation. Um, even with splitters, a splitter... Some of my clients love it because there's so many little decisions to make. They go in, knock their house down, put in the services, put the land on the market and they don't have to redesign anything. People love building because, and, and I must say, I used to be like this. They love building because there's a, a feel like a manifest or a creative uh, aspect to it where they got to get their energy out of their body. You know, I want, I want to build something. 
and, and for me, when I built houses initially, that's what, what it was. It's like, you know what? Look at me. I'm so good. I built these five monster homes. Um, it's good for my ego, but I found that it wasn't necessarily good for my back pocket. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then my ego got a bit of a reality check because the profit wasn't as good as it needed to be, uh, even though I had built these buildings and there were challenges along the way. So my point is building your home, low set is number five here. Um, when you get a high set, it does take longer. It takes a couple months longer instead of four to five months. It can be six to eight months. Um, and when, when you're building a house, you are subject to weather as well. I know we're all at the moment waiting for it to rain and doing our rain dances for it to rain and, and help the farmers, which I completely agree on. But when you're building, you are at the whim of weather, at the whim of um, Christmas as well. Um, when you start building uh, and you, you're starting in November, that's probably the worst time to start because once December starts, everybody stops work. I just want to say because I come from also the building background and I used to work one of the largest um, building manufacturing company where we supplied millions and millions of bricks on a daily basis and I actually went into a lot of the studios to be able to help with the um, design process in terms of actually choosing colors, palettes and all that kind of stuff for a house and it's no easy process and and I have to admit, you know, I, after doing it for so many times and actually seeing the process, it was quite a lengthy process and that can take a few months to, <laughs> actually I should say probably from a week to a few months to actually get that all confirmed because if you're building a house, unless you're doing it for investment purposes and you know it's sort of like a turnkey investment where everything's just basically out to rent and so forth, you wouldn't care so much about the qualities of the fixtures and fittings but when it actually comes to actually building a home for yourself, there's a lot of emotional attachment to it. It's very, very easy to get attached to it emotionally because you think, oh wow, that additional you know, beautiful stone bench top like a Caesar bench top would actually add an extra you know, value to the property but in actual fact, it really doesn't. It just makes it look better. <laughs> I guess once again, as you said, it's more like an ego boost. So that has to be all taken into consideration because that is the time factor that you've got to put in to actually do this type of project. Not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing, all I'm just saying is that just got to take that into consideration when actually building a new home because those are some of the factors that people will be looking out at and you need to just be aware that you've got to factor that in time of actually the whole process of building a home because that also comes back down to your back pocket because the cost that you spend in doing all these additional things, man, <laughs> it can go on forever. I'm not saying that renovations can't be any better. Sometimes people take six or 12 months or even five years to finish off a, a reno but with, with the cosmetic reno, you can get in and get out in two to four weeks in terms of the add value and then have the property available for rent or available for sale straight away. So that, that's why we believe that cosmetic renos are a lot less risk and a lot less capital required as well. For, with a budget of ten dollars to $20,000 and with a bit of sweat equity and a bit of labor yourself, you can be doing it. Whereas building a house, unless you're a builder, which I know Tyrone and myself are not. I've seen his hands. They're very much computer desktop <laughs> hands. <laughs> so are mine though. You're right. I only get blisters when I'm going fishing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or maybe a chin up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Is um, Yeah, the, the building a house takes more time, more capital. It can be more rewarding. However, I've, I've done enough to know that, yeah, I prefer to only build to hold. And, and that's what I'm doing at the moment with a couple of my builds. I'm building to hold, not necessarily building to sell. And, and this is the thing. We, you probably have noticed that throughout the podcast and everything that we've talked about, we want to get in, get out quickly if, if it's possible because we don't want to be holding on to anything for too long. 
And because of that, you know, that's where I guess the philosophy of money goes through much faster, which is going to be a, a particular topic we're going to be talking about in the future. But I think that's the key point about what we're trying to share with everyone is that we want to get into a deal, get in, get out quickly. So that way you don't you minimize the amount of risk that's involved as well. The philosophy behind all this, uh, like building a, a single-story home versus a two-story home, the amount of actual risk for the construction process itself isn't that much different, but it's the time frame um, that is increased. And when you increase the time frame in any construction process where it's not finished, where it's vacant, unsaleable, we call that dead time, um, yeah, that increases the risk. So number six, we're not going to spend too much time on that building a new house two-story, larger home, more than 300 square meters. You know, that, that's just a natural progression from the building a, a low-set 200 square, square meter home. We kind of covered already back in that part about building a new house on just a project home. So, let's move on to number seven. We're talking about removal of a home and major structural renovations. What would that be related to? Now that we're looking at that next level of um, renovation, before we've been talking a lot about the cosmetic renovation, add a bit of lipstick, um, half a dozen tradespeople. Now we're talking about significant uh, renovation. And the difficult thing here, it, it's actually very similar to a build. Very similar to a build, you might be doing a $500,000 extension to your home, you might be lifting it, you might be sliding it, and there's just more moving parts. And the complication here is it's not a clean slate. So with, with building a house, I'd rather much do a uh, existing vacant block of land, build a house, then do a removal home or a structural reno uh, simply because you've got a clean slate. So when you're doing a removal home, you're obviously getting an, a house from a, another block, bring it to your block or moving the house on your own block and it's got its own idiosyncrasies, it's got its own challenges, it's got its own limitations. Um, so we even did a, a major structural renovation on the house that we're living in now. Existing house could not knock it down, uh, could not build townhouse behind it. Um, and then we ended up deciding to yeah, do a structural reno on it. It's about 200 grand structural reno, add a kitchen, granny flat, etc., etc. This is about 10 years ago. Um, and so the existing dwelling, yeah, had its limitations. And like I said, it's like building a brand new building, but with constraints to start with. So, yeah, so... And I was going to add as well too, with any structural renovations, say for example, if we're looking at maybe an existing building and they may have, say for example, two bedrooms in it, but these bedrooms are large two bedrooms and you may want to turn into three, that could be considered as a structural renovation where you're knocking down a wall and then putting two walls instead to make it into three bedrooms. There are also some issues that you may face. You know, Structurally, you've got to get an engineer to come in, check it to make sure that you can do that. And also too, you don't know what's behind all these walls. There could be termites infested or there could be you know, electrical problems. All those kind of things are all unknowns and that's why when we say a major structural renovation, these things uh, have a lot of complexities in itself because there's a lot of unknowns as well too. You generally need council approval for these kind of structural renovations that you, you may want to do. Like we talked about previously, when you're changing the carpet, polishing the floors, you, you don't need approvals for that. But if you're lifting a building or sliding a building or you know adding five bedrooms at the back with toilets and bathrooms and uh, extension of roof lines, granny flats, you need council approval to do that. So that that's where extended timeframes, extended costs um, and limitations. You just can't do what you want to do. You know, ceiling heights have to be right. Uh, fire ratings need to be right. Um, energy ratings need to be right. There, there's so many factors. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into subdivisions, 
I think going from, let's say, number four with the splitters to a subdivision at number eight, this is where you start to learn the actual process of creating a new title. The different types of development approvals across Australia. The types of approvals range from like in Queensland or, or Brisbane actually, they do what's called a risk smart. Risk smart in um, New South Wales, they have a, a CDC, which is a complying development application. Um, in Melbourne, they call it plans and permits. Why building units and townhouses have high risks and greater profit. They might involve the state government as well if it's on a main road uh, or other overlays, um, cutting down trees and biodiversity. But once you go to the next stage, you've got the approval and you're going to build it. So that's next and you're listening to the Think Big Property Podcast. Hey podcast listeners, want to learn how Nyung made over $215,000 from subdividing a 1,000 meter square block into 5 lots? Many told him there were no good deals left in this suburb but $215,000 profit in 12 months proved them wrong. When you head over to thinkbigproperty.com and subscribe, you'll get access to the video that shows you where to find them, how to get them approved and how to profit from them in even overpriced suburbs. This video shows you everything. Simply visit thinkbigproperty.com to watch the video. So the next one is is eight at subdivisions from a small one into two. Um, I'm pretty sure, yeah, we've both done something like that as well but it'd be interesting to hear from your point of view, Nyung, what that's all about. I think going from, let's say, number four with the splitters to a subdivision at number eight, this is where you start to learn the actual process of creating a new title. Uh, I often talk about the five fingers in terms of services. So there's sewer, there's water, there's stormwater, electricity and telecommunications, right? So those are generally the five essential services. Gas is another service but it's not necessarily essential. So sewer, water, stormwater, electrical and telecommunications. And when you're creating a new title, a brand new title, you need to provide those services. So if if you've got a block of land, a thousand square meters, cutting it into two, firstly, you need council approval. That's not cheap or it's not free. It's about $10,000, for example, for a subdivision, draw up plan, surveyor, engineer, town planner. It can take two to four weeks depending on how coordinated you are just to even lodge that to council and, and that application can take somewhere between you know two and 12 months depending on the zoning, depending on the council, depending on the, the fees and charges and um, constraints. So yeah, essentially with subdivision creating a new title, there are a, a lot of learning lessons on okay, how much does, because you've got to install all the services in the splitter, you generally only stand uh, connect the sewer and the water. You don't have to connect everything else. In subdivisions, you have to, one, connect all the services, but you got to get approvals to connect those. And because there's more services, there's also more costs uh, involved and you may need to in- upgrade infrastructure. So um, there's a plan sealing process, which means that you actually have to get the um, plan sealed of the development approval plan Um, and yeah, my point is it's a lot more complicated relative to the simple splitter which has already got the titles. 
the five things that you've talked about, um, that would happen all after, say, for example, you've got the development approval from council and so forth. So, does that mean then those civil works, those people actually come in and laid all those foundations and they're just left open on the land until someone builds on that? So, with the split, as like you said before, we've already got the titles. In subdivision, you actually need to get the council approval first. Once the approval, it's just a piece of paper saying, yes, you can subdivide it into two. And then now, then you need to install what are called the... Um, civil works or the operational works so operational works is things like yeah the sewer water storm water and then generally what happens is um, once that all the infrastructure is installed um, the civil contractor will leave some conduit it might be a, an orange pipe sticking out of the ground just to show you the location of the service underneath the ground um, and then the surveyor needs to come back and engineers need to come back sign it all off to make it sure it's done up to specification you can't just put it anywhere you want you need to put it where the plan is drawn um, i'm doing one at the moment a, a one into two um, yeah and so it's, it's very much fresh in my mind sometimes you even have to put in um, a driveway to be able to um, meet the council's requirements right so um, part of the council subdivision is that each one into two or each subdivision itself is different you can do one in a one street and another in another street which might look on paper exactly the same but the council may put you, want you to put a driveway in one or a footpath in another and this and that. There are so many unknowns about that and it's variable. It's just whatever council feels like at that point in time. I know it sounds funny, but sometimes on some approvals, they'll miss a footpath and the other ones, they'll make it 1.5 metres wide. So you just need to allow for it and that's part of the risk as well is one, it takes longer time. It might take, you know, six to 12 months to complete a subdivision from start, get approval, install the services and finish. Whereas the splitter within 48 hours, the block of land can be ready to go uh, and on the market subject you installing the services, which you can do uh, in a very, very short period of time as well. And what's interesting is with subdivisions, it just seems like it's just a, a long waiting game because you, once you've submitted that, then it's just a matter of following up and chasing up and it's more about shuffling paperwork because you don't physically have to go out there and actually do anything. You just basically get the consultants and the people that need to set these things up and then you're pretty much just waiting. It's a very much um, attractive to a lot of people because it is a big paper shuffle uh, and I do love subdivision in that way because I physically can't do any of the work. You know, with the renovation, I remember painting ceilings and ripping up carpets and throwing out rubbish and, you know, helping to install kitchens and, and bits and pieces back in early in my career. But with subdivisions, I cannot do anything other than mow the lawn. Like <laughs> what I mean by that is I don't have any approvals or tickets to do demolition of the house. You, you can't just go up and get the sledgehammer to the house because the excavator is going to come anyway. It's useless. Um, yeah, I can't install the driveways. I can't install the pipes because I just don't have any approval. So that is actually a big advantage of subdivisions from someone like myself who does not like or prefers not to be hands-on um, so that yeah, you can leverage it. And the good thing about subdivisions, once you get it right, once you understand the process of the one into two, going to, from one into two and to one into five is actually quite easy because you're scaling it. Yes, there are some other complications that um, yeah, we will address at some stage, but yeah, just the beautiful thing about subdivisions, it's very scalable. Previously, we talked about subdivisions, small subdivisions, and now we're looking at probably more complex applications. Because um, when you're doing applications like 
applications for townhouses, apartments, demolitions, you really got to understand the rules and the laws. Like cutting something one into two is quite obvious because you've got, you know, maybe a big rectangle cutting it into two small rectangles. When you're building apartments or you're building townhouses and you're just going for the application itself, it involves a bit more time, a bit more money and a bit more expertise. So, and that can take time. You know, my recent development application on my 30 lot subdivision took a year and a half and it was a fair bit of blood, sweat and tears. We threw at least probably a hundred grand, at least if, if not more, to be able to get it through because it had a lot of complexities like flooding, like trees, like waterway corridors, um, slope, um, sewer water, storm water, which is a usual. But yeah, with the, the more factors you have in it, the more complicated it would be. And, and therefore, development approvals are so wide ranging. Um, even a dem demolition application, if a house is character protected and you need uh, certain reports done to uh, identify it and make sure it's not too old and, and the fact that you can uh, knock it down can take time, effort and money. As you mentioned, development approvals comes in all shapes and sizes and forms and so forth. So maybe if we want to share with people some examples of it, you mentioned just the most recent one that you've been working on which is a subdivision, a 30 lot subdivision. What are the other types of development approvals that people can go through? The types of approvals range from like in Queensland or, or Brisbane actually, they do what's called a risk smart. Risk smart in um, New South Wales, they have a, a CDC which is a complying development application. Um, in Melbourne, they call it plans and permits. So my point is that there's so much different types of jargon and, and terminology. Um, if we're going to talk about Melbourne, for example, with the plans and permits, I've actually got one that I've put in uh, for a childcare centre and that's been lodged earlier this year and it's taken a while. We've had some challenges and some ups and some downs. It hasn't quite been approved yet. However, you know, that's cost us probably a good part of thirty dollars to $40,000. So um, you can do you know, development approvals for commercial property as well, whether it's petrol stations, childcare centres, um, commercial buildings, industrial buildings, um, industrial land subdivisions. So it's very, very wide ranging. And some costs can start at $3,000 just for the council fee. And you know, you've got all the other consultants fees on top as well. So whether it's architect, landscape architect, engineer, surveyor, town planner, obviously, um, hydraulic engineer, if there's flooding, uh, childcare consultant, contamination consultant, noise consultants, traffic consultants, there's a wide range of consultants depending on the project. And that's why we suggest as a theme of, of this is always think big and start small so that you know, you're learning as you're growing, you've got more capital behind you, you've got more smarts behind you, you've got a better team behind you to advise you as you go along because it's just a minefield. There's so many different applications as we go along. And that's the reason why this is at number nine for the ladder of complexity and that's, that's obviously after subdivision. So this is a little bit more uh, high up the ladder which is a little bit harder to, to get into and also to do as well. All right, so that's great. We've just talked about development approvals. The next one is number 10, which is building units and townhouses, which is like a multi-unit dwelling, anything up to four dwellings. And this is the next part up the um, ladder of complexity. Let's talk a little bit more about this. Um, let's elaborate exactly a bit more what this is all about and how this works. This is where the risk goes to the next level. So if you're talking about development approvals, you might have a block of land with a house on it and you're getting a piece of paper approved with the local council. It might involve the state government as well if it's on a main road uh, or other overlays, um, cutting down trees and biodiversity. But once you go to the next stage, you've got the approval and you're going to build it 
well, it, it takes it to another level of risk simply because you've got finance to apply for, you've got finan- more financial risk, you're putting down um, obviously buildings that got concrete, timber, roofing, um, and the process of construction itself is a risk in itself. And I know previously in the ladder of complexity, if you've uh, listened to the last recording talking about building a new house low set or building a house high set, building a house or a building itself has an element of risk. So here, when you're talking about multi-unit dwellings, up to four dwellings, it's not just one dwelling, it's four dwellings, uh, three dwellings, two dwellings. So any mistakes that you make, for example, in the design, you're multiplying that. So I remember I had a one into four townhouse project and in the middle of two of the rear buildings, uh, I tried to squeeze a car park in between the two buildings. I managed to fit the car park in, but because the car park was in between the two buildings, each of those buildings lost rough, roughly one and a half meters uh, on each side of the building because they previously potentially were joined and then we put the car park in between such that uh, they lost that car park space in floor space. So my mistake there was because I tried to squeeze more car parking in, I lost living area. So a mistake essentially I made uh, was multiplied by two and we had a lot of difficulty selling those townhouses. So my point is that it's one thing to get an approval on paper, but once you build it, if you don't know what you're doing, if your build costs are over the top by 10 15%, you're multiplying that mistake. And that's why with the ladder of complexity, the, the more you do, more dwellings you build, the more blocks of land you subdivide, the level of margin of error has to be less, i.e. the more mistakes you make, it will be multiplied and it's more risk of you losing money uh, in this process. You're not just building one sort of uh, dwelling, which is could potentially the house or, or a townhouse or so forth. You're actually building multiple. And uh, say, for example, one of the costs that's really, really high in, in a lot of times is the building costs. You know, the building costs, if you're just doing, say, one building could be like 200000 or so to build, say, a house or so forth. But once you got start to go, say, four dwellings, which is like, for example, four townhouses, yes, your cost could probably essentially come down because you're building more, but then it actually multiplies. So, say, for example, if you're doing four, they might charge you, say, 180 to 200000 just for a good quality townhouse. You'd be spending up to 800000 and that's just only the dwellings itself. So, <laughs> there is a lot more risks in, involved and also ways to see how you can actually leverage off that because a lot of times people don't just put cash in to actually develop these developments. We usually would go back to finance these things through the banks or through private lending. Would that be the case in a lot of these instances? And that's the other thing with, with when you're going up this ladder of complexity is that the finance risk as well. So it's one thing as a construction risk, which is what I'm talking about before, design risk, which we've mentioned as well, but also a finance risk and, and complexity. So what I mean by that is generally anything more than two dwellings goes from residential to commercial. And what that means is you'll have to put up more deposit. Interest rates are usually a little bit higher um, as well as pre-sale requirements. So generally, you know, if you're just building a duplex, you can get the normal 80 to 90% mum and dad residential investment rates, you know, 4%, 5% at, at the top end. And then if you go to commercial, you're talking 6, 7, 8%, if not more, depending on how badly you want the money. And uh, you may need pre-sales as well. And in a market like this, you know, pre-sales can be quite difficult. Sometimes people want to see the buildings finished, the townhouses, the apartments finished before they'll even put in an offer. Even though they like the area, they like the plans, they like the finish. But because it's not like super competitive anymore and they don't have to fight over each other to get properties off the plan, there's less competition, they're happy to wait. 
and it's like the chicken or the egg. In, in the past, you'd get pre-sales before you started building, and then those pre-sales would aid uh, finance. You get finance, you get things out of the out of the ground, and then you'd already know that the project's already pre-sold, and that reduces the risk. Here, on the other hand, the market's changed such that you have to get it out of the ground first before people will look at it. So that you know, if you can't get those pre-sales, you're going to have to find a financier that's going to give you finance without those pre-sales. So it either means you have to chip in more money, 30, 40, 50 percent deposit, or you're going to have to go to uh, expensive um, money as well. And it could be, you know, I've looked at a package, finance package recently. We're all up. It's like 11 percent because um, it's about a 3 percent upfront application fee. 8% interest rate but they'll basically give you the money to get it out of the ground as long as you've got enough deposit. So that's the most important thing I think that we, we've actually mentioned in this is that once you go from residential to commercial because you're increasing the amount of dwellings that you're building, things just start to change plus you also got to add on GST as well too which is another topic altogether. So the costs actually start to compound once you start moving into more of a commercial development and, and that's the same thing I've heard once you start reaching about that four dwellings plus that's when things have to switch over to commercial because the banks won't lend you. You just got to be smart about it and got to be creative around it and find ways to pre-sell stuff or get investors on board. Uh, down the track, we can talk about um, getting investors and how to help bridge this commercial play. But it's, it's just one of those things that as you get bigger, uh, you get smarter, get yourself educated and look for better ways to get funding um, that works for you without you know putting your house on the line, so to speak. Coming up on the next episode of the Think Big Property Podcast, we'll be delving into the final stages of the ladder of complexity. We bought that in 2007 and came out in 2010 uh, and the GFC happened in the middle. Uh, just those risks because development approvals, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. It is a, a skilled game. We discuss how long it can take to finish a land subdivision. One into two subdivision, you can get it done between six and 12 months depending on the approval. Time frames. We learn about how erratic the property market can be. So, if you started at 2014 and come out in 2019, which is where we are now, the market's dramatically changed and you've got many, many millions of dollars uh, at, at stake. And that's next time on the Think Big Property Podcast.